Okay, who knows it? <laughs> don't hate on Michael W. Smith back in the early, what was that, 80s, 90s? I don't know. But uh, I couldn't do a sermon on friendship and not have that song incorporated somehow, because that is, that is the old school church right there. Thank you, Jesus, we have grown. Oh, hallelujah. Dang, Pastor Tina. That was awesome. I just want to echo what she said. We, man, I love our church. Y'all are awesome. Come on now. What I'm not kidding. Like when the worship team is up here and y'all are leading us, that is just the absolute best feeling in the world. Oh man, it's so good. God is so good. Why don't we pray? Because I kind of need to refocus a little bit. I feel like I've had some Cuban coffee this morning. Oh, thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time. God, we, we, know, you're, we know you're here because this is your home. It's not ours. And so we're not, not going to assume that you came in. God, you've been here. And we just came into your house, and we thank you for the invitation to come and be a part of what you're doing this morning. God, I pray right now that we would be giving you all of our time, our energy, our mind, our thoughts, all of We just put everything else aside. And God, I know, I know that so many of us came in here this morning with a whole slew of things going on in our life. But God, we just surrender those things to you right now. We lay them at your feet. We say we're not going to let the distractions of the world take away from what you want to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to say, too, with the um, Sugar Cane's uh, truck that's coming next week, hang out. Like, come early. We're, they're gonna have, they have an awesome menu for food. Like, don't just bolt out the door next week. Let's take the opportunity to have lunch together and just be a church after we dismiss. I know that's mind-boggling for, for some of us, but let's just hang out next week and enjoy each other's company and fellowship and incredible good food as well. We're really excited about that. So I just want to encourage you um, to do that. Amen. All right, so um, we're going to be talking today as we continue our series on relationships. We're going to be talking about friendships, as Michael W. Smith so beautifully sang as I came on stage this morning. And friendships are interesting. If you look at the course of your own life and really all of our lives, how we approach friendships is very different. For instance, when I go to the playground with my girls and they, they go and play and then it's time to go, they get in the car and say, hey, how, how was it? Did y'all have a good time? Yeah, I made a new friend. Really? What was her name? I don't know. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess that's a friend, you know. And then um, as you get into middle and high school, suddenly like you're not just having being a friend with anybody and everybody, you're very specific in who you want to be friends with, right? Oh, I just want to sit at that table so bad but not with those people over there, because I got to protect my rep, right? I got to make sure that I'm cool with everybody. And so we're a little more specific on who we are friends with. And then as you get even older and older, and you're my age, you're like, friends? I don't want any friends. <laughs> I'm just going to stay home. Like, if there was an impact group for hermits, I would be the like, grand marshal of that parade, you know? Like, I'm just going to stay home. I don't need more people in my life. I got my two or three, that's, that's, that's kind of about two more than I need, to be honest with you. And we just like, as we get older, we just kind of, it, it gets smaller and smaller, this pool of people. I mean, it, it, can you just imagine for a second, if we treated becoming friends with someone like we did when we were little, and you go to the playground, hey, what are you doing? You want to play? Sure, I'll play. You want to be friends? Yeah, that's, of course. It's like, why wouldn't we? If you're at Publix and you're, and you're in the produce section, and someone comes up and goes, man, that's some sweet broccoli. You want to be friends? Like, no, weirdo. Get out of my face. Stranger danger. Manager, get this guy out of here. He's a freak. I don't want to be near him. It changes, you know, it's different. 
And we don't think about that. And I wonder, you know, what causes that to change? What causes us to go from being little and just inviting anybody into our lives in that moment without knowledge of background or family history or profession or income or faith or political affiliation? We just want to be friends with them to now all of a sudden have these checklists to where when we meet someone, our first thought isn't, hey, let's be friends. It's, what's their motivation? <laughs> what's their story? You know, we have all these questions and concerns. So what causes us to go from being a kid with friends to being an adult with not many friends? And the answer, as I kind of studied about it and read this week, is a simple answer, but it's also very complex. And the reason I believe that we go from being kids with friends to being adults with friends and how it changes is because of sin. Sin is the cause of us not embracing people in relationships like we did when we were little. I want to read this quote to you that I think is so good and so absolutely right on point with what we're talking about this morning. It says, one thing we need to realize about friendships is that we tend to respond sinfully to being sinned against. So when someone does something against us, they betray us, talk bad about us, gossip, whatever, like our response is not biblical in nature, we'll say. We sin back, right? Or we don't handle it well. So we tend to respond sinfully to being sinned against. Because of this, we can be tempted to have superficial friendships instead of real ones. To be consistently frustrated with other people and to hide from real friendships because we are cynical about the possibility that they can even exist. So we get, uh, as we grow, we get hurt, right? People parentheses, sinners, okay, let's remember that, mistreat us in some way, shape, or form, and we can all fill in the blanks of our own stories. In those instances, cause us then, as we grow, to be a lot more reluctant to engage with people and to be friends with them because of things that have happened to us in the past. And so as we continue to get older and older, we become a little more cynical, a little more reserved. We keep people at an arm's distance. Let, listen, I, I'm going to be real honest with y'all. We believe in the power of impact groups here at Beaches Chapel because of the relationships that form through them. But listen, y'all, when we have to, when we launch, it's like a, an ad campaign. We really have to sell it to some of the people in here because a lot of us are going, eh, I just don't have time for that. I don't have time to become friends with the people that are in my church because I'm busy. Again, we throw out all these excuses. I got all these stuff going on. When the truth is, we just don't want to be friends with anyone else in our lives. But that is what God has called us to. He has called us to be relational. I'm going to tell you a real quick story. So last year, almost this time exactly, our school was going into spring break. And just like any other year, we went into spring break, super excited, doing cartwheels down Florida Boulevard, throwing parades, because we needed a break from each other in Jesus' name. And in that week is when President Trump declared a national state of emergency. Everything started getting shut down. The players' tournament was canceled. The NCAA basketball tournament was canceled. Everything, the world just flipped on its head. And rather than coming back a week later, the rest of the school year went remote. And we didn't have school the rest of the year here at Beaches Chapel for any other school for that matter. And then what turned into April and May then became June and July, which is supposed to be the summer months where you do all these things, but the world was different then, so a lot of stuff was shut down then. And we decided in faith to reopen school right when we were supposed to in August. 
And we knew as an admin staff, we were praying about it beforehand. I've mentioned this to you all before, that we knew that there was going to be serious ministry that needed to happen as these kids came back on our campus. But I don't think any of us were ready for the reality of what we accepted when they came back on on campus in mid-August. They were broken. These students were hurting. They were not the same kids that we saw back in March. Not only that, but their parents were as well. And we were different. Because what had happened was the relationships and the friendships that they had had were stripped away from them. It even happened just a few weeks ago. We had to shut school down for two weeks because we had a minor outbreak of COVID here. And even in just those two weeks, when they came back, you could see it on their faces. You could see it in their attitude. The friendships that were so vital in their lives had been taken away from them again. And you hear the word a lot, oh, you know, people, or especially kids, they need socialization. They need, they need to be socialized. And I'm just going to get on my soapbox for a second and say, I can't stand that. Dogs need to be socialized, y'all. Humans need friendship. Humans, because socialization is, is this. Hey, how's it going? Good. How are you doing? I'm good. Can you believe this weather? No, man, it's crazy. Cold one day, the next. I can't believe it. Hey, how about Trevor Lawrence coming to Jasper? Yeah, cool. This, that. All right. See you later. Bye. That's socialization. Friendship is, how are you doing? Well, not really that good. How can I pray for you? Let's go get coffee. Let's go have lunch. Let's sit down right now and let's talk about it. Can I pray for you? That is friendship and that is what we need. We don't need a room full of people talking about the weather, okay? We can just go outside and check it out for ourselves, all right? We don't need socialization. We need friendship. God has called us to that. It is part of his instruction manual. Listen, Jesus had a group of best friends. Don't you think we should as well? And no, it might not be easy for you. And I'm telling you, as I stand here, I am one of those people, introverted. I want to be home. But this is really cool. I have to tell you this story too. This past Thursday, we were uh, going to our impact group on our way. And all of a sudden, I just had this thing have it's a little medical thing. I'm not going to get into it, but I wasn't able to go. All right. I had to go. I was like, Jesse, I got to go home. We, had, we weren't even three blocks from our house. And I, I haven't known a lot of these people in our impact group for a long time, but it killed me to not be there. Killed me because of what is happening in these meetings that we're having, where everyone is sharing. It's not artificial. It's not superficial. We're sharing our hearts. And then not only that, but we're praying for one another. Because friendships, after only two or three weeks, y'all, not a lifetime, are forming because it's not superficial. It's real. It's more than just the weather. So the result of this, when we, when we let sin stop us from forming friendships, is we resist people, we keep them at arm's length, and then you know what happens? We become lonely and we isolate ourselves. And I want to I I say this to those that are online, those that are, watch, are here in person. Isolation is the devil's playground. Amen. That is where he does his best work. Think about this. Adam was gone when the serpent tempted Eve. She was by herself. That's when the snake showed up, right? Elijah, when he was when he was by himself in the wilderness under the tree, where he actually uttered the words to God, God, I am all alone. There is no one else but me. Take my life. 
So it's when he's alone that he does that. Joseph is tempted by Potiphar's wife, ultimately when? When nobody else is in the house. Nobody. It's just the tempter and him. David, when he sees Bathsheba on the roof bathing, is anybody else around? No, he's by himself. And that's when he looks out the window and sees her and makes that decision that he makes. Jesus himself. When does the devil come and tempt him? When he's in the wilderness by himself. And so we are created for friendship because it keeps us from being isolated and it keeps us from staying out of the devil's playground. That is why it is so important. That's why you have to fight the urge, many of us, to say, I don't care if I don't feel like it, I'm going to go anyway. Because the more that I stay by myself, the more that I isolate myself, the more that I'm opening myself up to the devil's attacks. And I'm just swinging on the swing set of his playground. That's where he does his best work. We need each other. Do not think that you can do it all by yourself. You're not special. None of us are. We need each other. Proverbs 18 verse 1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Do you know what our own desires are? Sin. Sin is our own desire because we're all selfish in nature. If I didn't have Jesus in me, I'd be sinning. I mean, I'm sinning already, but boy, I'd be good at it. But that's why we have the Holy Spirit. We talked about it a couple weeks ago because we give up our own desires and we follow him. But when we isolate ourselves, suddenly our desires come to the forefront. We say, you know what? That sounds pretty good. And all the sound judgment is out the window. All those real friends that are talking into our ears are gone. And the only person talking to our ears is a big, fat liar that wants to steal, kill, and destroy you. That is the fellowship you have with Satan when you are alone with him. That is the only outcome that he is after. I want, to, I want to talk about a story of friendship in the Bible that is just so powerful and so incredible. And it's out of 1 Samuel chapter 18, starting in verse 1. And it says, as soon as he, meaning David, we all, okay, we're talking about David and Jonathan here. As soon as he, David, had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David. And his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him. So that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Okay, a lot is happening here in these few verses. But the most important thing about the beginning of David and Jonathan's friendship is the timing of it. All right? The timing of when they became friends tells us everything that we need to know about godly friendship. The timing of their friendship is nothing short of remarkable. Because this is the beginning of 1 Samuel 18, the first verses. You know what happens in 1 Samuel 17, the chapter before? David is fighting this guy called Goliath. That's what's going on in the chapter before. This unknown, random kid 
shepherd who's so forgotten that even his dad forgot about him when Samuel comes to visit him, shows up on the scene just to bring his brothers some food, and he ends up killing this giant, cutting off his head, and becoming in a moment, in a moment, the most popular Israelite on the face of the earth. And so when it says that after, or as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, what that means is after David had just killed Goliath, and he's walking around, this is, this is so awesome, he cuts da- uh, Goliath's head off, and he's just walking around with it. He, and the Bible actually says in, in chapter 17, you read it for yourself, when, he go, when Saul calls for him, he's like, he shows up holding Goliath's head. All right, and just a picture of this severed head with like the bloody stringy things, you know. And, and Goliath is nine feet tall, so his head's probably pretty big. Like, and I love that about David. He's just walking around like, see this? Y'all see this? This is what happens who defies the army of God, right? And so he's just walking around with it. He's like, what? <laughs> like, that is just one of the cool, the Bible's, it's kind of funny sometimes. I would love to see that, like, knock on the White House door. Got him! Yeah. Here's his head. Haven't let it go since I cut it off. But he, that's, that's what's happening here. And here's why the timing is so remarkable. Not because David just did that, but because he's become so popular. And what he's done in one day is he has taken Jonathan's future from him. Jonathan was the heir to the throne. Jonathan was the one that was going to be king next. And Jonathan was no slouch, y'all. He was a warrior. He wasn't some coward that sat in the corner in the dark and avoided all the fighting. He was in it. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this unqualified little shepherd boy is holding a giant's head. Saul calls him to talk to him, puts him over all of the army, and he's successful in everything he does. And it says that everyone was pleased by this. There was no one, no one that looked at Jonathan and said, hey, what about Jonathan? He's your son. Jonathan, in that moment, could have said, who is this guy? Who does he think he is? I'm the king's son. I'm the prince. And I got all the goods. I got the belt. I got the sword. I got the robe. I got everything. And that throne is mine not his. This isn't fair. But he didn't react like that. What he did was he saw God's hand and anointing on David. And he said, I want to be with that guy because my relationship and my love for the Lord is more important than any earthly thing. And so what he did was he made a covenant with David, not a contract. A contract is two independent parties that agree on something and they go their separate ways. He makes a covenant with David. Covenants are relational. Covenants are about two people coming together. And we said, I'm going to make a covenant with you and I'm going to seal this covenant with you by giving you the things that symbolize me as the next king. I'm going to give you my robe. I'm going to give you my sword. I'm going to give you my belt and my armor. All these two, I'm giving my future to you, David, because here, check this out, y'all. Friendship is not competitive. It's not competitive. 
And so that's why Jonathan was able to say, you know what? I'm not going to vie for this throne because what God is going to do with you is greater than me sitting on some chair. And so I'm going to give everything I have to you and I'm going to surrender to the Lord and I'm going to make a covenant that I'm going to walk with you through it because David, you're going to need some help to the point where even my dad is going to come after you, but I'm going to stand with you. That is godly friendship. When we throw competition and rank and titles out the window and say, God, I love you more. And so because of that, I can love this person. Even though the world would say, what are you doing? They're stealing from you. They're taking from you. All the spotlight, all the riches, all the fame, all of it gone. I love the Lord more. There's no such thing as competition within friendship. And here's how I can prove it. Think about your best friends. They're probably your biggest cheerleader. They're probably your biggest cheerleader. You know why? Because they're not in competition with you. They don't, they're not trying to take your spot. And so then they're able to, because of that, cheer you on in whatever you're doing, in your marriage, in how you parent, in your job, in your walk with the Lord, all those things. They're not saying, oh, you know, this, that, and the other. I'm going to keep this for myself. Saying, I'm going to walk with you in this because I love you and I love the Lord. There's no competition between us. The way that we accomplish that, though, is not just by chance. We have to really understand and accept who God has made me so that I can be your cheerleader. Because if we just reject who God has made us, we're going to be in competition with all sorts of people all the time, all over the place. Because rather than focusing on what God has called me to be, I'm just worried about what he's not called me to be. And it's what everybody else is doing. It's really hard to be a godly friend to someone when we haven't accepted who we are in Jesus. But once we do that, we are set free from competition, from comparison, and we can start loving people. That is what is so remarkable about Jonathan here. His identity was not in who he was going to be one day, as king, by the way. (laughs) His identity was who he was in the Lord. That's where he got his value from. And so when we can get to that place, we can start becoming friends with all sorts of people. But we have to to submit to who God has called us to be. And the second that we start walking in that, man, God moves. But here's the thing. If we are vying for the approval of the world, we'll hold on tight to those earthly treasures, those thrones in our own life. And what we will then settle for when we value the things of this world over the Lord and people is we settle for superficial friendships where everything is just on the surface and we don't go deep with anybody because our value isn't in the Lord. It's in all this stuff. Proverbs 16, verse 28 says this. So it's a troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends, not acquaintances. Gossip separates the best of friends. Other versions Some in your Bibles might say this, whispers separate the best of friends. It just sounds evil. Whispers. You know why? Because it is. And this isn't a a sermon on gossip, but I want to share this with you all because I think it's so pertinent to friendships. Because I think a lot of how we treat our friends when they're not around is a good measure of how good of a friend we are. A pastor in Nashville, Tennessee, I read this, and it's just brilliant. It says, gossip 
is pornography of the mouth. Because it seeks the same thing that a lustful fantasy seeks, a cheap thrill at another person's expense, while making zero effort to connect with or commit to that person. It dehumanizes them, turning them into a thing to be used. A little convicting? I read that and I was like, oh, Lord Jesus, help me. Gossip is pornography of the mouth. So the next time that we're in a situation where we want to talk about our friend, I want you to remember what's really being done. And you're putting them in a pornographic situation, a cheap thrill at their expense to boost you because when we talk about people like that, the root of it is we're in competition with them and it magnifies our own insecurities. That is superficial friendship. That is not real friendship. When Jonathan made the covenant with David, I believe the covenant that he was making was, I got your back in all situations, all the time. When you're not there and people start talking about you, I got your back. I'm going to shut it down and I'm not going to be a part of it. Godly friendships do not engage in gossip about other people. And we need to watch what we are saying about people when they're not around. That is not real friendship. That is not walking with people. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times. All times. Everyone say all times. And a brother is born for adversity. In other words, when we become godly friends with someone and the rubber hits the road and they're going through something, that's not our chance to talk about them. That's our chance to dive in and be a part of what they're going through. Brothers, sisters, the church is born for adversity. We don't run from it. We engage with it. That's what our impact groups are all about. It's when people come together and they say, I'm going through something. We don't kick them out or we don't leave. We say, we're here for you. I'm born for this for you. I'm not going to talk about you when you leave. I'm going to build you up. I'm going to love you always. And let me say this. Look, that's hard. It is hard to do that because it's not in our nature a lot of times. But that is what God has called us to be. is brothers and sisters, a church family, a home for people. That when they are going through something, when adversity sets in, we are there. We are there for them. We don't talk about them. We help them. We pray for them. We invite them to church. We invite them to impact groups. We let them be a part of this family that we have here at Beaches Chapel that we're so blessed to have. Thank you, Jesus. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, starting in verse 7, says this. It says, I observed yet another example of something meaningless under the sun. This is the case of a man who is all alone, without a child or a brother, yet who works hard to gain as much wealth as he can. Translation, the thrones, the robes, the titles. But then he asks himself, who am I working for? Why am I giving up so much pleasure now? It is all so meaningless and depressing. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? 
A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not, cord is not easily broken. All right, here's the breakdown. By yourself, isolated, alone, miserable, and depressing. Two or more, successful, conquerors. Why do we stay alone? That, those are the two options. That's what the Bible, the Word of God says. Why? Because the devil wants us to be miserable. And he wants us to be depressed. And go down all sorts of roads and rabbit trails. God wants us to be together. To be friends with one another. I want to call the band up. And we have a couple more things. Listen, do, I know a lot of people, they hear the trigger of band coming up and they start packing up. Don't do that. All right, because we're not done yet. All right, we're going to shift gears here in just a second, and it's going to be a really powerful time, so do not go. Jesus says this in John chapter 15. He says, There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's own friend. So Jesus is the example. He lays down his life. And I want to kind of read around that verse for a second. Let's pick it back up. Let's go backwards in John 15 to verse 9. He says, Jesus is saying, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, here it is, y'all. Your joy will overflow. This is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. You are my friends. This is Jesus talking to us, y'all. Since I have told you everything the Father told me, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command, love each other. And when we love each other, what happens? Our joy overflows. That's where the joy comes from. When we obey Jesus's command, a simple command of loving other people. He said, look, Y'all are my friends. Why? Because I love you. You're not my slaves anymore. You're not a slave to sin. I've set you free from that, and I love you, and you are my friends. So go, love each other, and be each other's friends. That's what we're called to do here. We say here at Beaches Chapel that this is a home for all to begin and grow in their relationship with Jesus, to be friends with one another, not superficial but real friends. We can walk with one another, not be alone, not be isolated, not to play on the devil's playground, but to walk this walk together. And it's not something that we invented. Jesus tells us to do it. He tells us himself to be these people. So will you, will you? I wanna encourage you today to examine some of your friendships. And if there's friends that you need to reach out to that you haven't talked to in a while, do so. If you need to invite them to church, start inviting them to church. Call them, text them every single day. I'm serious. Bug them. 
Let's, let's get past this. So I just don't want to really annoy him with Jesus and eternity in heaven. <laughs> let's be friends, real friends that invite people to church. They might not accept it on the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, but maybe on the 37th time they do. But you got to get to that number.